yeah just realized i wasn't recording <laughs> uh yeah hindsight rashani <laughs> brandon uh we're talking about tells from the hood today tells from the hood came out in 1995 it was a movie directed by rusty cundiv he also made uh sprung which was a 90s a quintessential 90s rom-com, which doesn't mean it's a quintessential watch. I just mean it literally took all of the pieces of uh, romantic comedies that came before it and put them into one movie. Uh, he also created Fear of a Black Hat, which I think was better than CB4, Fight Me. Um, Tells in the Hood is neither of these. Tells in the Hood came out in 1995. Um, I guess it's a horror movie. Nothing was scary in it except for the acting um, and the CGI and the script. Did I miss anything? Um, this was a this was a message movie. It tons message. of messages. Message. 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 That's what this movie was. Hey, if you did not see the the if you did not see the myriad of messages that they had for this movie, go back and watch it again because they are legion. But to get the message across, they had to put down the jokes, and so there was no real story to it. Um, and I didn't remember watching this movie is like when I watch this movie I remember two parts which we'll discuss three parts if you count the last uh, line which everybody remembers should we just get the last line out the way right now um because you know on this show we do talk about what we feel was the best quote of the movie I'm not even getting gonna give Brandon a choice um this was the best quote of the movie period so hard at this scene <laughs> no funeral home and it ain't the terror dome neither the i love how he says neither too neither welcome to hell you little motherfuckers i know he didn't say little but he should have he should have added that in um tell us they should have had a white devil though it would have gone great with the rest of the message. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> um, Tales from the Hood is an anthology movie uh, that stars uh, Joe Torrey, um, the nigga from Menace, and from uh, Don't Be a Menace, and Set It Off, and... Uh, Every other black hood movie you ever seen, Samuel Monroe Jr. Uh, Joe Torrey played a guy named Stack. You didn't know that because they didn't say anybody's name really. They said it for a second, but then they they didn't say it anymore. And DeAndre Bonds, huh? 
I know nobody's names. Exactly. And DeAndre Bonds, who uh, played Stacy in better movies, but played ball in this movie. Uh, Sammy Monroe Jr., who's the MVP of I Know That Nigga from Another Black Movie. Um, and we'll go into the Hall of Fame as such. Um, play Bulldog. And then there's the star of this movie. Again, not a question. With other shows, we debated these things. Like, who was the best person in this movie? Who was the best? Mm-mm. Clarence Williams III played Mr. Sims, the funeral director. Uh, and he chewed all of the scenery. Like, he was like a fucking termite. He chewed the scenery. He chewed the coffins. He chewed everything up. So at the beginning of this movie... The uh, three, Stack, Bulldog, and not Stacy, uh, go to the funeral home to get the shit. The reason why they're going after the shit is because Little Mo wants it. Yeah, not that Little Mo, even though I had jokes. Um, Little Mo demands that they go to the funeral home to get the shit. Apparently, Mr. Sims, the funeral director found the shit and put it where he would be able to keep it safe from them, I guess. And so they're bringing him money. So then he will give them the shit as they're going to his door. Uh, Bulldog tells the niggas, and I swear to God, Bulldog was trying his hardest to be old dog in this movie. Brandon, <laughs> when I first saw this movie, I was 90, uh, it was 95. I was 15 I was much, much worse of a person than I am now. I can guarantee that. Um, And when I first saw this movie, I didn't think it was scary then either. But I thought the music was great. I thought the soundtrack was excellent. Um, I didn't didn't hear any of the messages that they were giving out. I was like, Jerome, at the end of the movie. I missed every fucking thing. And and it was one of those movies that when I left it behind, I really left it behind. The only thing that stuck in my head was, again, the ending scene. Um, this movie will probably go down in history as the, uh, in the uh, You Got Served pantheon of movies where you only have to see the last scene. That pantheon includes the aforementioned You Got Served, uh, Tales from the Hood, and also... Uh, eight mile. <laughs> Brandon, what did you think about this movie? I'd only seen bits and pieces of this movie growing up. I, you know, everybody's heard of this movie, but I had only seen bits and pieces of this movie. Um, I watched this movie on the plane, and I, I was like, I had never seen a film that was so on the nose in my entire life. Like there was no new, there was like no, like any any type of hidden me- like trying to hide the message. There was no like subtleness. This this movie was devoid of all subtleness, all at all. It was just like, let me take this big giant carnival mallet and slam it over your head, over and over again. And in 2020, it's kind of it's uh I, I, this review is going to be mostly upbeat because it's a ridiculous movie. Yeah. But it's kind of depressing because everything they were talking about is like literally what's going on today, even though it was so heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but like you get the you get the David Duke because this is like th- this is like four years after uh, David Duke ran for governor in Louisiana. Um, so they do like a David Duke analogy, and they couldn't even they couldn't even change the name. They made the nigga name Duke, like just so on the fucking nose. <laughs> and then you get a uh, you get a domestic violence, and not to say that domestic violence doesn't work like this, because there are people who are affected by domestic violence just like this. But this was so like on the fuck, like to the point of it's a monster walking to my room. And they had him like a monster, but like, it was so... that said monster on his arm. With a tattoo that said monster on his arm. It was so on the nose. And I appreciate the message in 1995 um, in that. But I'm like, this shit is so on the nose. And then the cops are bad. And I'm like, yo, cops are terrible. We talk about this shit all the time in real life. These cops were quite possibly some of the worst cops I've seen on media in a long time. In a long time. Like, I watched Love, Lovecraft Country. And I'm and that's in the 1940s. The cops ain't like this. Like these are some, these were some like <laughs> really really bad cops. And then you had the drug messages, drug the, the gang banging message as well. So it hit all the boxes for messages for Black America in 1995, and unfortunately for Black America in 2020. It's just so heavy handed that you can't help but to laugh. The thing that got me about this movie, first of all, did you know it was the executive produced by Spike Lee? I'm not surprised. <laughs> so Spike Lee produced this movie. He also is producing, he produced part two and surprise, surprise, he's producing part three, which is coming out in a couple days. Uh, we're not doing this because of that. Um, we're doing this because this shit was hilarious. Uh, Spike Lee executive produced it, but this is fully a rusty come deep movie um, all the way down to the loped out skeleton that they had in the intro wearing a Tupac-style bandana and smoking a joint. Um, I had questions about the joint. I had questions about the skeleton. But then we got straight into, uh, like I said, uh, Chicago and, and the two prolific niggas talking to the funeral director and asking where the shit was. Instead of the funeral director saying, the shit's in the back, let me take you there. Funeral director's like, you want to know how this nigga died? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Like, No. Show us where the shit is. All right, I'm gonna show you where the shit is. But first, I'm gonna open up this. Uh, the, I'm gonna open up this casket right here. And you wanna know how this nigga died? It's funny. So then we go into the story of uh, Martin Morehouse. Um, Martin Morehouse, the congressman, senator, mayor. I think he was like a local congressman, like a state senator or like an alderman or something like that. Jesse Jackson? <laughs> the way he was talking, they made him seem like Martin Luther King mixed with Jesse Jackson, mixed with Chadwick Boseman all together. And I was unsure what his actual role was, but he's driving down the street. We actually start the first And that segment. was Tom Wright, too. Huh? And that was Tom Wright. Who, who is Tom Wright? for me... Is oh, most famously known as playing Mr. Morgan on Seinfeld. <laughs> that's that's where I know him from. But he's been in a lot of shit. But if you watch Seinfeld when George was working it with the Yankees and he had the black boss, that's that's who that's who played um, who Rashani's talking about. So he is when the segment starts. He's being pulled over by the cops, 
and the cops are already fucking with him. Like, as soon as the window rolls down, the cops are fucking with him. There's three white cops and a black cop. The black cops are rookie. The white cops are racist. It's the way that things go. Like we said, this did not change. One of the things that aged very well in this movie are the cops. They did not change a bit. Um, cops were the villain in 95. Cops are the villain now. But they tell the uh, black rookie to go run the guy's plates in his car. The black rookie goes back and opens up the car door to sit down and start running the um, the plates. He doesn't close the door. This is important because while he's in the car running the plates, they start beating the shit out of Martin. <laughs> For no reason. For no reason. One of them says to him, um, <sighs> he says, lights the registration. Martin says something back to him. Immediately punches him in the in the kidneys. Weak ass punch to the kidneys. Martin's not even swayed. So then, same cop calls him, and I love this line: "You big mouth, goddamn son of a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> so calls him a big mouth, goddamn son of a bitch, and then puts his head through the window, um, through the car window. Martin doesn't, or Clarence doesn't hear any of this shit while his car door is wide open two feet away from where this assault is. Nah, let me be honest. Five feet away from where this assault is actually happening. And hold up. But no, no, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. He's, they told him to go to the car and put the license plate in the computer. If you ever seen a cop car, the computer is in the dash. So it's, it's right in front of the fucking window that he's looking right out in front of Watching the cops beat the shit out of this nigga. He's and typing this and nigga, looking up at the same time. And it's taking this nigga 15 minutes to type in a license plate. Because, Well, wait, wait. Because when he typed in a license plate, he saw Martin Morehouse's name. And then that nigga had a 12-minute flashback <laughs> while Strange Fruit played in the background. Because, again, message. So Strange Fruit is playing in the background while Martin's getting his ass whooped. And Clarence is sitting in the car. And um, all of these, all the other cops, well, the two of the cops, Strom, who's the big mouth goddamn son of a bitch guy, and then a pudgy guy whose name is Officer Pudgy, I don't fucking know. They're beating the shit out of Martin. Strom actually turns to the other cop and says, you want some of this? Yeah, but did you catch that too? They named the damn cop Strom. Like Strom Thurman. Yeah. Like, it's so on the fucking note. Like, this this movie is, like, smashing you over the head with this shit. <laughs> so, Strom and the other cop beat the shit out of this dude. Uh, Clarence is still typing in the computer because numbers are hard. And um, he finally comes up with the seven digits to see that this dude is not only somebody, not only see his name, but underneath it, in big flashing letters, it says political agitator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's when he flashes back on who the fuck this dude is and hops out the car. And he's like, hey, brother, that's Martin Morehouse. You shouldn't hit him. And Strom's like, ah, you're right, you're right, you're right. We weren't really hitting him, though. We were going to take him to the hospital. He hurt himself. So... Why don't you go ahead and hop in the police car and go back to the station with your partner, uh, Newton, and we're going to take Morehouse to the hospital. 
Clarence's dumbass believes them after watching them whoop Martin's ass. He believes them and gets into his car with his partner and leaves. While they're driving down the street and while Strom and his partner are driving to the ocean, <laughs> like yeah. there, and one thing that I can never find in my neighborhood or anywhere near the piers is that slanted sloped road that goes right to a pier that the car can roll <laughs> right off of and into the ocean. There's always barricades somewhere, but in every movie, including The Crow, which we'll talk about way down the line, there's that ramp, downward ramp that goes right into the ocean and cars just go into it all the fucking time. But before they put Martin into the ocean, they shoot this nigga up with heroin. <laughs> so extra. <laughs> so much. Look, they couldn't just beat his ass. They had to <laughs> triple team him. They had to triple team beat his ass. Then... They couldn't just say, all right, we beat his ass. He, we taught him a lesson. No, then they had to, like, put him in the, put him in the car. Then they had to shoot him up. With, then they, we're going to kill him. They couldn't just kill him. They had to shoot him up with heroin first. And then push him over the pier into the water. Like, that's so much going on. <laughs> that is so much. I, I just want to also point out... Uh, Strom, when he pushed the drugs into this dude, touched the syringe. His fingerprint should be all over that fucker. Should be yes. an open and close, open and close case, Johnson. Um, but nope, none of that. Nobody saw the bruises. None of that. Um, Newton drives back with uh, Clarence, and Clarence is like, "Man, we need to turn those cops in. They're dirty. We need to turn those cops in." And Newton turns to him and he's like, fucker, they're the cops. We're the good guys. You better protect us, asshole. We got a code. You better know the code. Paraphrasing again. And so he's like, you know what? I'm not going to tell anybody. And so he doesn't tell anybody, but like, I don't know. Because they don't say how, oh, wait, let me say the quote. You listen to me, and you listen to good. These assholes are cops. Who the fuck are you to judge them? Shit, man, you got a green dick. <laughs> These two guys have been risking their asses on the streets for years. The oh, fuck no, we forgot one thing. gun. <laughs> we forgot one thing. What's when he up? was shooting them up with heroin, he goes up to him and he goes, guess what? The cops are selling drugs to the community. And you guess what? You ain't going to be able to live to tell about it. <laughs> to a dead man. Black Dynamite should have came out and whooped his ass. But Black Dynamite, I sell drugs in the community. Um, but Clarence says, when he says, the fucker went for Strom's gun, Clarence is like, bullshit. Newton's like, now, maybe those two guys went too far tonight. Maybe it was all a mistake. But next time, it could be you. So, you know, don't ever roll over. And you never rat out a fellow officer. And you never, never break the code. Clarence quits. I don't know how far it is in the future after that, but the next thing we see, Clarence is living in a shack. 
I know he wasn't living in that shack when he was a cop, but he's no. living in a shack with a bunch of newspapers covering him up and a, a, a whiskey bottle to keep him warm at night. He looked like Pookie from New Jack City. I know it hasn't only been a year, and yet he calls all of them because he gets called by Martin Morehouse in his sleep. Martin tells him to bring the other three cops to him, and Clarence says, I will. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Clarence meets up with the other three officers at more ha- at the at the cemetery. Two questions: one, why the fuck did the other cops show up? <laughs> I know for what. You got away with this scot free. Why the fuck would you come back to the the only the only witness to you whooping this nigga's ass, and you came back to talk to him about what? Were you gonna murder him too? No, you weren't. You didn't even pull on him. Nothing. You came out to talk to this dude like everything was all gravity. This nigga is dirty as shit, stumbling like an alcoholic, talking about, it's our anniversary. (laughs) And none of y'all fuckers ran. And so he's like, I just, I just wanted to send our regards to Martin on his anniversary. And so I figured it was the first year after he died, but then I saw that fucking gravestone and it looked rusted as fuck. (laughs) So so I'm not sure how long this was in the future, but nobody aged at all. Anyhow, Strom, the badass white racist motherfucker, is like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna give him something on his anniversary. And he goes and he pisses on uh, Martin's... Right they couldn't even grave. bother. They couldn't even bother to get uh, a budget for yellow fake piss. It just was clear water. Yeah, he was pouring it. And <laughs> so pouring water. And so and he he, t- he turned around and looks at the other officer. I don't know what his name was. He wasn't important. But he turns around, and looks at the other officer, and he's like, "There's a dry spot right here. Come and piss with me." And the other officer was like, no, I'm good. And Strong was like, motherfucker, you ain't. You gonna come over here and piss right now. And so the other officer is a poodle. And so he goes over there to piss on the grave too. And and this was when they had the gun to um, homeboy's head. Like they was gonna kill him after they pissed on his grave. And I'm unsure, uncertain, if... Martin meant to grab the other cop by his dick and pull him into the grave by his dick. <laughs> I didn't think, I mean, because the hole in a, that a person gets buried in the hole is six feet deep. And so the, for Martin to reach up and then reach up higher and get the dick, and then pull him in by the dick. And then a little bit of rumbling happens. And then Strom shoots at the... And then they show there's like an explosion. And then they show that the other cop is dead in the in the casket. And Martin is standing over him looking like a fucking zombie. With blue eyes. A blue-eyed zombie. And so <laughs> they shoot at him, and then they all take off. I don't know why uh, Clarence took off. Like He's like, yo, I called you, motherfucker. I knew what you was coming for. So Newton and Strom take off. They hop into a cop car. Uh, 
Then it turns into your average everyday uh, horror movie. Because again, it's not a horror movie, but horror movie with a message where um, Strom dies next. The way Strom dies is that uh, they're in the cop car. Morehouse reaches down into the cop car because he gets on top of the cop car while they're driving. They're shooting through the roof trying to kill a zombie. That doesn't work. He reaches into the car and grabs Strom by the head (laughs) and rips his head off. And the mask that they use to show the ripped off head is honestly the worst thing that I've ever seen. And this isn't being facetious. This isn't, I mean, I've seen bad movies before, yes, but I haven't seen anything like Strom's head before. He got dead man strength. And so, dead man strength. And so, uh, Newton continues to run away, and uh, Martin is following him, and Newton is stumbling through Skid Row of whatever city they're in and um martin's following him and he gets to a wall and he turns around starts shooting at martin and martin or he starts clawing at martin trying to get away and he rips martin's chest off and when he rips martin's chest off there's no heart there there's no liver or kidneys or anything. <laughs> it's a green bottle of some type of potion. What the fuck was that? What was th- I don't know. That's what I was going to ask you. What was that? <laughs> what the fuck was that green shit? <laughs> like, I don't know. Is, somebody re- is that how the devil reanimated him? <laughs> I, green, is. it looked like it, it looked like the shit that the Joker fell into in Batman. I don't know what it was, what the purpose of it was. I don't know if it gave that nigga magical powers. I don't know what exactly it was that would that 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 was supposed to be. Um but Newton is shocked by it and he stumbles back and he's like, oh my god, no, uh, no not only that, they're in an alley full of people. <laughs> and nobody <laughs> knows this dead man with a green bottle and a hole in his chest. Like, people were just running their own fucking business, not paying no fucking attention, not running, not being scared. Like, I'd be fucking terrified. I'm murdering somebody shit. here. I'm a green, I'm a zombie with green shit in my chest. I'm, I'm, watch, watch this move right here. So he stabs Martin, or he stabs Newton with syringes. No, 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 no. He uses his uh, telekinesis to pick up the syringes off the ground and then telekinetically shoot them at him and stab him. Yeah, telekinesis from a zombie. He's a zombie with telekinesis and super strength. Who can talk? And so the last syringe, he makes sure that he aims it 
right towards Newton's mouth. Now behind Newton, there's a painting of a cross on a door. The, the, the cross is empty. But when Martin shoots him in the mouth with this syringe, somehow something in that syringe causes Newton to fucking melt into a painting. It turned him into a painting. That's what the syringe... A mural. A mural on a wall where everybody... This is Skid Row. All of these homeless folks and transients should have noticed that now there's something new on this wall that they look at every fucking day. Nope. So... Uh... Good old Clarence shows up after it's all done. And he's like, we did it. Bring it in, nigga. We did it. That's not really what happened. But Clarence was like, are we done here, my brother? And Martin was like, don't my brother me. You had your chance to fix this a long time ago, and you didn't. This is all your fault, which is all it took for Clarence to go crazy. And so Clarence is sitting in the uh, house in the in the mental health unit, mental health ward, in the uh, padded room, wearing a straight jacket, bouncing his head against the wall. And the two orderlies are standing outside the door at that point, and they're like, "Man, what happened to him?" And the other one's like, "Man, cop killer." He killed three cops in one day, man. Cold game. So, so hold on. So, we're supposed to believe. So, this is what I was confused about. Were we supposed to believe that he actually did kill him, those cops, and that this was all in his mind and he was just crazy? You want me revenge? to believe that he fucking made somebody magically fall into a into a painting, <laughs> and that he ripped somebody's head off with his bare hands? The fuck is this? Mortal Kombat? And more no. and you also forget the other message was Morehouse basically saying like black cops, you, you shouldn't be a black cop. No, because yeah, yeah. Morehouse was like, you were you were a cop and you let them do this to me. You supposed to protect us, brother. And you quit. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. All right. A lot of messages in this first seat in first half. A whole lot. But the message that I didn't hear is why there were no witnesses to get this black cop out of jail. Like, yo, we saw that nigga on top of a car rip somebody's head off and then stand there with the, with the head in his hands, looking like Michael Jackson at the end of the black or white video. We saw this, this, this zombie fucking throwing syringes at an officer. I'll never forget it. Yeah, I was high, but I wasn't that high. I will never forget this shit. He threw one. He said, watch, I ain't even gonna look. He threw that one. I was like, whoa. Like, <laughs> and then the third one, I don't even know what happened. I just heard somebody say, he's got my dick. And then he, he, he was gone and he was dead in the casket. And so you're gonna tell me that the coffin is empty so he murdered three people and he robbed Morehouse's grave to put mm -hmm. one of the cops that he killed into his grave? 
So he desecrated his hero's grave. Huh. Okay. If I'm a lawyer, I could have gotten him out quick. I mean, he still would have been, you know, in the mental war, but at least he wouldn't have been, so, they wouldn't have been accusing him of murder like that. So that was the first segment. They should have just stopped right there. If the nigga is telling me stories like that, where he knows everything that happened, anytime a funeral director or anybody's telling me the story and they telling me everything that happened, including uh, private conversations where there's only two people in the car and all that kind of shit, I'm going to start to think you're the devil and that this ain't no funeral home. It ain't the terror dome neither. But nope, they needed the shit. And so... They kept walking and they was like, give us the shit, man. That was their whole, that was literally 95% of their lines was, where's the shit, old man? Yo, old man, give me the shit. So they walk up to another coffin and they're like, is there shit in there? And No, he opened up the coffin and they're like, the fuck is that? What the fuck happened to him? And so they told the story. He told the story of Walter, which was fucking heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Walter's story, I can close my eyes and tell you without even uh, without even have watched it before, but Walter's story is about a little kid named Walter whose mom uh, his was a, who was a single, his mom was a single mom, she had a boyfriend the boyfriend was an evil piece of shit who was a Well, his, well first his daddy died Well yeah, no, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling him the whole synopsis of this part yeah. uh, First his daddy died, and then uh Walter's mom found a boyfriend who was a fucking piece of shit. Um, Honestly, I'm not going to go into detail about what kind of abuse it was. I I just want to say that it was physical abuse, but it was happening at night in Walter's bedroom every night. I don't know if uh, Rusty meant for it to look like that, but it was happening every night and Walter had bruises on his face and on his wrists like he was trying to fight. Um, Also, Walter is the new kid at the school. Uh, Even though his house looks lived in as fuck, Walter's the new kid in his school. And so he meets his teacher who's played by Rusty Cundiff. And Walter's a really good kid, really nice kid. And on the first day of school, he's getting beat up by the school bully and by his friends. Uh, The teacher comes out and saves him and takes him to the nurse's office. The nurse looks at the um, bruises that Walter has on his face, and she's like, yo, those bruises ain't from today. Those are from at least two days ago. Now, I don't don't know how school nurses operate. I I don't know if they're like fucking cops or that was whatever. very pinpoint exactly how the fuck you could tell me that a, a black guy two days ago that was dope as shit i was like yo can you tell me uh what the fuck is that on the shirt how long has that been there and let's go ahead and wrap this whole thing up beaker but didn't happen that way the teacher was like yo if you tell me who did it we'll keep it a secret if you tell me who hurt you walter We'll keep this a secret. I won't tell anybody. I'll keep it on the hush. Walter tells him. Walter's like, a monster did it. Teacher's like, you're full of shit. 
doesn't say you're full of shit. Just treats them the way that you treat kids that you think are making shit up. Walter goes back home, blocks his fucking door. Walter is like nine, ten, mm-hmm. has barricaded his door with hella shit that he thinks is going to keep this monster out. The monster still pushes the door open. It takes a while for him to push the door open to Walter's credit. It takes him a while to get through that barricade. But when he gets through, the next day, Walter has bruises on his wrist. And uh, Walter walks into class, and he says the monster did it again. Now, the first time that he shows the teacher and the nurse what happened, the teacher's like, basically, if you don't want to tell me, then fuck you, kiddo. And Walter was like, I, he, he told me that nobody was going to believe me, which was some sad-ass shit. Uh, the next day, he comes in and says, the monster did it again. So at lunch, the teacher's like, why aren't you going outside? And Walter's like, I'm, I'm drawing. And the teacher's like, what are you drawing? And he was like, this little girl who sits behind him, I don't know, um, said that if I draw pictures of what I'm scared of and I, I burn them, they'll go away. Teacher's like, oh, that's cool. Who's this supposed to be? He was like, this the monster. He was like, who's this supposed to be? He was like, that's the kid who beat me up yesterday. Teacher's like, all right, cool, whatever. He, uh, teacher leaves out. I'm going out to lunch. You should join me. You should come outside and play. Walter's like, all right, I'll be there in a second. Walter crumples up the drawing of the bully. And as he crumples up the drawing of the bully, you hear bones breaking loudly. The bully breaks. The bully falls down a flight of stairs. Right as Walter's crushing up the piece of paper. Breaks both of his arms, both of his legs. Walter's a fucking mutant. That's... That's what I think. Either Walter's a mutant or the paper is magical or the little girl's a voodoo priestess. Those are the three options we have right here because we don't know if Walter could do this before the little girl suggests it. We don't know what exactly she did to get Walter's paper. To, did she give him the paper? Like these are questions that are unanswered. But Walter has now conquered one of his uh, adversaries and the monster's at home. So... Uh, the teacher decides that he's going to go to Walter's house and talk with um, Walter's mom about Walter. I don't know why. I don't know why he decided to pull up to the house. But he pulls up to the house. <laughs> she comes to the door like she ready. Sissy comes to the door like, yo, I don't know. She was that young lady when she was in Friday, she was amazing. And that was uh, like two years prior. So you put two more years of seasoning. She looked incredible. She was wearing the wig, however, that my mom was wearing in the late 90s. But that's neither here nor there. That (laughs) wig is synonymous with uh, 90s black women hairstyles. I swear Vivica A. Fox wore the same fucking wig and set it off. But that's neither here nor there. So uh, the teacher walks up. Uh, Sissy, his mom, uh, comes to the door in a nightgown. She's like, yo. He's like, yo, can I come in and talk to you about Walter? She's like, oh, yeah, for sure. Let me go get changed real quick. 
she goes to get changed. She goes into the kitchen. She's washing dishes. She's half listening to him talk about Walter, half washing dishes until he mentions monster and bruises. And then she calls down Walter to uh, basically say, stop lying. Or she was going to say stop lying until a car pulls up in front of the house and she's immediately like, yo, you, you take your little ass to your room. You go to your room and you stay there. But before he can go to his room and she tells the teacher, you might want to leave. And before he can leave, uh, Carl walks in. Now, here's the thing. When they show this monster, they show uh, shadows of him actually looking like a monster with horns and all that kind of shit. Uh, this is obviously the way that a little boy would picture his, his, uh, his attacker, his, his, his worst enemy, his worst fear. Why would they cast David Allen Greer? Why the fuck? <laughs> Why? <laughs> That's such terrible casting. Nigga. That, I, uh, why? Why would they like all fear was gone when I saw David Allen Greer from Blank Man playing this role? <laughs> there was no other worry for me when I saw the nigga from In Living Color playing this role. There was no further fear at all. Like I couldn't even make myself worried about Walter anymore. It was too late. I was staring at Carl. And so this is after he played Gerard. This is after he played Kevin and Blank Man. This is after he was in Alf. This is after I'm going to get you sucker where he's talking about David Springs, Bruce Springsteen, and all, the only dance he could do was this from the Dancing in the Night video. You want me to be scared of this nigga? Nope. Nope. Illusion gone. Gone. And so... Carl walks in the house. He's supposed to be a gangster. Like, he's supposed to be hard as shit, but he's really just David Allen Greer. <laughs> like, I can't. And it's not that, and the part is, it's not that I couldn't believe David Allen Greer, someone like him could be abusive. It's that I don't think he could whip anybody's ass that's, like, on his level. Like, mm -hmm. I saw that teacher. That teacher was tall as shit. Mm -hmm. He should have beat the fuck out of David. And he was getting destroyed by David Allen Greer. Not only that, David Allen Greer comes in. He's like, yo, you need to get the fuck out of my house. Teacher's like, all right, cool. I'm a dip. Richard, that was the teacher's name. Richard's like, all right, cool. I'm a dip. He walks out because David Allen Greer punks the shit out of him. David Allen Greer uh, turns to Sissy, calls her out of her name, looks down, sees he's tussling with Sissy. He looks down and sees the pic the picture that Walter made of him. And he was like, oh, you little motherfucker. You want to make pictures of people, huh? And so he starts attacking Walter again. Um, Richard comes back into the house after uh, Richard, after Carl chases Walter upstairs and is beating on him and is beating on Sissy. Richard sees through the window, through the light of the curtains, he sees them getting a, getting abused. And so they, he runs upstairs to confront Carl. Carl is whooping everybody's ass 
with the same fucking palm thrust. He ain't even punching niggas. All he doing is this. <laughs> like, all he's doing is an open hand thrust to the face. Thrust to the face. He's mushing people out of existence. And so he mushes Richard. He mushes Walter. He mushes Sissy. And he's beating the shit out of Richard with his palm thrust. And he's on his chest beating him up. And Walter grabs his drawing and folds the right arm back, like folds it yeah. behind the, the and He learned this from the girl behind him. Mm -hmm. He learned he the voodoo, voodoo from the girl behind him in school. Mm -hmm. So he folds the, the right arm and uh, monster, his right arm, like, Stretch Armstrong's behind him. It's broke. So then he folds his left leg behind him. Same thing. So now he's laid out. And now he crumples the uh, right leg and the, the other arm. So then they're all folded up. But somehow this nigga, when they show him, it looks like he's sitting uh, crisscross applesauce, but that's neither here nor there. He's like... <laughs> Monster's still like, when I get out of this, I'm going to kick your ass, bitch. Sissy's like, I don't think you are. Uh, and she takes the paper and she steps on it. And you just see blood fly up <laughs> as she steps on this piece of paper. I didn't know if voodoo was transferable. I, I didn't either. I thought the person, like, I didn't so know. So it must be could, the paper. I, I didn't know you could give me the voodoo doll and it would work for me. It has to be the paper. The paper is magic paper. Yeah, it's got to be the paper. Because the little girl could do it, Walter could do it, and then his mama could do it. It had to have been that paper. Bottom line. Yeah. So then she's like, yo, what are we going to do? This body is here. People are going to find it. How do we get out of this? And Richard, the teacher who's sitting there with his ass whooped but still wants to be involved in the situation, is like, I know how we could take care of this. He turns on the uh, the stove, the gas stove, and tells Walter, Walter, you know what to do. This nigga got this little boy committing murder. <laughs> Richard did not put in no dirt in this whole situation. He sat there and got his ass whooped, but now he got dirt on Sissy, and he got dirt on Walter. He ain't slick. I see uh, you, nigga. He's about to be Walter's new daddy. He is, because otherwise he's going straight to the cops. Walter murdered somebody, and I don't know exactly what his plan was because that nigga's body still ended up in the funeral home, which means somebody drove him there and dropped him off to a funeral director. So you said that nobody's going to find out about it, but then you burned the body and put him in the back of the car and drove him to the funeral home because, remember, at this point in time, we're not supposed to know that this ain't no funeral home. We ain't supposed to know that yet. So the next, uh, you know what, Brandon? I've been talking. How are you? No, I'm I'm good. So, like I swear to God, that nigga's palm thrusts were like E Honda. Um, but then the next one was probably my least favorite of the. No, it was my second least favorite of the four. To be completely honest with you, it's about Mr. Duke. 
Duke Met School. They should have named him Duke Davidson. That would have been a message name. But Mr. Duke Met School and his campaign manager? Yeah. Duke is a uh is a ex KKK Grand Wizard who is running for office and we don't know where exactly in any state. But here's the question I have. It's clearly in the South because of the house. But here's the question that I have. It's in the South. True. Is this in the same town as where Walter's folks just got murdered? Because them black folks in that town looked real, real ruralish. And the folks in Walter's town looked real Californian or even New York. So are, is this the same town? And if it is, are they all going to the same funeral home? Well, you know, they all go to hell. You but know, yeah, hell. we're not supposed to know that yet. I know. But that was them giving you clues. That yeah. was them leaving the, leaving the cookies in the trail. The crumbs. Pretty much. So they... Um, well, this dude got a half black, a mixed... Uh, guy doing his uh, running his campaign, being a total coon, just mm-hmm. cooning it up for him, and mm-hmm. then he dies falling down the stairs. And so you find out that he like, dies telling a horrible joke too. Like that's the worst way to die. You die telling a bad joke. Oh, they should do that hell twice. The only spooks I'm scared mm-hmm. of is the ones with guns. And that's he because he's in a house that's supposedly haunted. Um by the woman who used to live there and the souls live in these dolls or whatever. Um, but the funniest thing, the funniest thing about this, I'm going to jump around a little bit, is he, this white dude, was so convincing in playing a racist. Like, he was one of the, oh, yeah, he was one of the best. He did that. One of the, one of the best, this is the best performance besides um, Clarence face? Williams. Besides, yeah, besides Clarence Williams, because he was so convincing as a racist. Like this man Mentor. was he, he was calling them nigger bitches and yelling at the picture, calling her a pick, not even a real woman, calling a, a mural woman a nigger bitch. He was talking about he gotta get these nigglets off his lawn. Why are they out there protesting? Like it was just real good extra racism, like the extra racism. Just mm, mm. Yeah, just fantastic. Can you sprinkle he, a little bit more of that racism on my plate? They even had a message, um, uh, a campaign slogan, which is it's like straight out of David Duke's campaign. So there's a podcast, and we do evergreen content. There's another podcast that's evergreen content, a Slate podcast mm-hmm. called um, uh, Slow Burn. And this this season they did uh, David Duke's governor run, which is mm-hmm. why this was so fresh in my mind. And it was literally pulled straight out of like a David Duke uh, campaign ad talking about affirmative action. Like he would literally get up there and just be like, yeah, like um, the whole point of this is to get away from uh, punishing people from the color of their skin. So why are you punishing all these good, nice white people uh, from not getting these jobs and getting these school opportunities? Like and he would say it just like that, like just with a like upbeat voice, just like that. Like it was it, like it was nothing. It was it was just and this was just perfect. It was just straight out of that in this film. And so he the guy dies and the reporters are asking him questions. And I'm like, first of all, y'all believe this shit, but okay. 
If that happened in real life, that's the end of your campaign. If your campaign manager dies and your house is just you two, even if it was an accident, it's the end. It's a wrap. You're not winning. Especially if you're racist. But even mm-hmm. on top of that, you're not winning. Besides that, you're not winning. And then he stays in the damn house because, of course, a racist would stay in the damn house. Because he mm-hmm. don't believe. He think he can take out. I can kill all the racist souls, too. I don't have to worry about the real niggas. I can kill the dead ones, too. And he thought he was going to take a shotgun to kill a haunted doll. What kind of shit is that? Like, what kind of logic is that? Slap the shit out the door. Or, you know what? Leave the fucking house. But, you know, the one that the good thing about that is the audacity of racists. Because racists do be believing in some shit. Hard as fuck. And he's like, I don't give a fuck about these souls. I don't care if you tell me it's haunted. I'm going to stay here regardless. Because I'm so racist that I no nigga can stand against me. Dead or alive. And that shit did his ass in good. I I just wanna um long, long, long time ago, I did a an episode, I did a video episode of Single Simulcast, uh, where I was talking about child's play. And um talked about how niggas ain't dying against dolls. I, I think that's the best way to put it. We ain't we ain't gonna die against a fucking doll. Uh, Chucky was already small, and I was like, the best way to get away from a small-ass nigga is just stand up on top of a table where he can't reach you, uh, or throw them in a trash can where they can't get out, or rip their fucking head off. It's a fucking doll. That was Chucky. Chucky was like dick for a doll. Like, it was a my buddy-sized doll. These little black dolls were like the kind of dolls that artists use to to make. They were the dolls that you like use strings with. Right, they were were marionettes, but way skinnier and way jankier. And and he could have just ripped a head off or two, arms, legs. Instead, what this white man did was fall. <laughs> What's the only way that a, a, a little ass, tiny ass, maybe I I put them at six inches tall tops? Yeah. Only way they're gonna kill you is if you're on the ground. So he fell a lot. He fell while he was loading up. He took the 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 leader of the uh puppets and tied it up to a bullseye to a dartboard outside of his home and shot it with the double barrel shotgun and then just left it alone and walked back inside. And then that thing fucking said, okay, that's enough and got down off the dartboard and walked back into the house and looked at him while he was putting his face, while it was putting his face back together. He's loading the shotgun back up. He drops the shells like a fucking dummy. So now he's on the ground picking up his shells. The the little the little puppet starts running at him. Bitch, if you don't stand up and kick him. <laughs> and then he leaves the room with one puppet to go in the room with 50 puppets who <laughs> all jump his ass and start eating him. But, and I'm like, so- but 
the only reason why they're able to jump his ass and eat him is because, again, when he saw all of them looking at him, when he saw that the picture where all of the puppets were was now empty and it was silhouettes of each of them and they were in front of him in real life, what he did to combat this was sink to the ground and lay down mm-hmm. where they're able to reach his face and eat him to death. And they were able to reanimate and bring that black woman back to life off the blood of a racist white man. Message. <laughs> oh, the biggest message in this was he kept using the American flag as a weapon against the black dolls. And he's smashing them with the American flag and smothering it with the American flag and stabbing it with the American flag. And it's just like, okay, I get it. I get what you're telling me. I get it. I get it. That's enough. That's enough there. Whoa there. That'll do, pig. That'll do. So. And then he, he did. So he did. And um, they didn't even have the white dude in the funeral home. They just had the, the puppet. <laughs> like. Yes, the puppet. How you know this whole story, Mr. Sims, when all you got is a puppet? Why the fuck are we here? Um, Why is the puppet in hell? The puppet, the hero. Puppet's the hero, right? Didn't yeah, even do nothing. The, the puppet doing in hell? I didn't even do shit. Hey, hey, nigga, what you in for? I didn't <laughs> do shit. I don't, I don't even know why I'm here. I shouldn't even be here. Mr. Sims. Mr. Sims, why am I? I got a family, nigga. But nope. <laughs> he in hell. And the white dude went elsewhere, I suppose. The white folk hell. Um... So then they tell the story of Crazy K. Crazy K is a gangster who, uh, by the way, by the way, Crazy K's story is possibly the most ambitious message in this entire fucking movie. Crazy K is a gangster who's driving down the street in his beautiful 5.0. This, oh, by the way, this... Uh, part of the movie has Spike Lee's handprints all over it. All yeah. over it. This is peak Spike Lee, especially at the end of this when they're doing the montages. And so, yes, very much so. And so um, Crazy K is driving down the street and he sees a nigga driving in the opposite direction and the nigga driving past him in the opposite direction is in a car and his windows aren't are are aren't rolled up, but it's dark, and he's in the car. And I'm not saying this because he's black. I'm saying it because he's going in the opposite direction in a car, and it's dark. And Crazy K looks over at him, and he's like, "That's that nigga." <laughs> and so he follows that nigga back to whatever house he this nigga was going to, and he hops out the car, and he's like. Hey, that nigga, and shoots that nigga, and kills that nigga. And then the three niggas who were coming out that of the house that the nigga was going to sees Crazy K kill their homie, and so they all pull out guns, and they shoot Crazy K. <laughs> now, they shoot Crazy K and walk over to him and stand over him and talk shit. And Crazy K talks shit back because he's a gangster. But they don't get a chance to shoot him and kill him because literally out of no fucking where, 
out of nowhere Some more spawns, spawns six cop cars. <laughs> when oh, I say yeah. they spawn, I mean they I mean like Fortnite. Like they, they just came out of nowhere. Like just six cop cars. Full of cops with guns aiming to shoot. They didn't ask questions. They didn't tell them to drop the weapons, did they? No. No. Just there to shoot. And so they shoot these three niggas who are standing over Crazy K. Spoiler, not a spoiler. The three niggas are like this. You know what? I'll hold it in. This so the three niggas die. The three niggas die. One of them dies on the fence. One of them dies in the street. And one of them just dies somewhere. And Crazy K is like, saved by the motherfucking police. They pick Crazy K up. He goes to jail. While he's sitting in jail, a woman says he's perfect and takes him to rehabilitation. They called it, um, um, what did they call it? Behavioral, some type of like behavioral uh, renaissance or something like that. It's basically reprogramming him. They're going to reprogram him. And so he is sitting in a cell across from a Ku Klux Klan member or a skinhead. Mm -hmm. And so the skinhead is like, hey, boy, I like you. You could be one of them. When, when all the white folks take over America or take over the world, we're going to save a few blacks to be our slaves. And so Crazy K gets close to him and punches him in the face. And um, the white man is showing him all of the tattoos he has all over him that says nigger killer and 100% pure honky and uh, swastikas and all that kind of shit. Crazy K punches him in the face. Says, fuck you. And the the KKK guy is like, you know what? I like you. Matter <laughs> of fact, let me ask you something. You one of us. Them uh them people that you murdered, were they white? Nah, I didn't think so. You helping us out. And so that yeah, was the was white niggas. It was some niggas. And so that was the white guy's whole role in this movie. Like, I don't know if they were trying to re- rehabilitate him, too, because it was only them two in cells. Um, <laughs> and so also the cells seemed big enough for dogs to be in. Like, it seemed like they were, like, kind of cooped up. Like, they couldn't stand up and move. They had to crawl from end to end. Uh, but then they take Crazy K out of his cell, and he's talking to uh, the doctor, whose name was, I don't know, why did they, why, if Tells from the Hood wants me to know this shit, they should be better about actually saying people's names, but they're not. Um, so they, he's talking to the doctor and the doctor's like, Dr. Cushing. Dr. Cushing is like, we can help you. We can rehabilitate you. And then she says Crazy K's real name, which is fucking Jerome. How in the fuck did you get Crazy K out of Jerome? <laughs> hey, by the way, he had a K carved into his head with um, chop. <clears throat> what do they call them? Chops, not chopsticks. Um, like the chopped uh, sideburns. Mm-hmm. With the mutton chops. Mutton chops, yes. Because he's gangster. 
Jerome. And she talks, she calls him that. It's not Jerome, it's Jerome. And so they're strapping Jerome into a uh, machine and stuffing like nine feet of tubing up his nose. And she's like, this is going to help you. And he was like, I don't need to be helped. And she was like, Jerome. And he was like, I don't need to be helped. Fuck you. And so she leaves. And so they start spinning his, uh, the, the bed that he's in, they spin it to one side and they start pretty much brainwashing him or showing him visions of what the fuck he did when he was, uh, out on the street. And the way that they showed what he was doing when he was out on the street wasn't by just showing him shooting people. It was by showing everybody shooting people. KKK shooting people, cops shooting people, white folks shooting people, <laughs> black folks shooting people, movies, black and white, color, and it was all fucking done to the tune of Born to Die by Spice fucking One. Why this song? My gun screamed fire. The bullet told me shoot that motherfucker. He's a liar. I talk to my 380 like a bitch on the stroke. When niggas try to dick me, I'm all off the way to hope. Kill them all. I can't be fucked in this game. I'm a psychopath. My AK told me to shove him up the niggas' ass. I'm having long conversations with Mr. Millimeter. He's one of my best friends, bitch ass nigga eater. And Mrs. Mossberg loaded up in that back truck. You know that old school bitch, she like to get in funk. It's spitting motherfuckers by the scenes. My granddaddy, Mr. AR-15, said he was my only family. Shoot straight and please don't jam me. Why that song is playing in the background while they're showing everybody killing each other? Why they chose not to use Strange Fruit at that point in time? I have no clue. But this is the Spike Lee montage moment. Well, you see, it's because when we kill each other, it's the same as the white people killing each other because it's devaluing the black life because nobody thinks the black life is worth anything. You see, my brother. My brother, I see that, my brother, but I don't see why it has to be shown to me with the lyrics, my gat screamed fire. The bullets told me, shoot that motherfucker, he's a liar. I talked to my 380 like a bitch on a stroll. When niggas try to come, I'm about to fill a hole, kill them all. I can't be fucked in this game. I'm a psychopath. My AK told me to shove him up some niggas' ass. <laughs> Why that's on a Spike Lee montage? I don't know. I feel like Rusty felt like this was going to work. This is the part that we have to play this song on. So they're showing this, and then it gets to the point where it gets to the um, chorus which says one to the chest and one to the dumb, but these niggas catch you slipping and your ass is gone. And so that's the part where as it shows more and more death faster and faster, they decide to repeat that over and over again. Because if the niggas catch you slipping and your ass is gone, if the niggas catch you slipping and your ass is gone, if the niggas catch you slipping and your ass is gone. <laughs> and then it stops and Jerome is being lowered into a hole for a sensory deprivation a sensory deprivation chamber 
is there to leave you only with your thoughts. It takes away your vision. It takes away your sense of hearing, everything but your thoughts. And so his thoughts came out and um, his thoughts can't fucking act. What's up, Crazy K? Remember me? Tracy? Yeah, man. What's up? How come we ain't talked in a long time? That's right. You killed my ass. Ain't that a bitch? I got one question for you, Crazy K. Why? Why? You, you, you was coming up short all the time, man. I, I couldn't just let you rip me off, nigga. That was. That shit was wrong, man. Just drove by and started blasting. That shit was wrong, man. <laughs> we ain't even the ones that kept your homie. That shit was really wrong, G. That shit was wrong, man. That shit was wrong, man. <laughs> that shit was really wrong, G. And then a little girl comes out and she's like, I wasn't doing nothing. I was in my bedroom. And then I got shot. And he was like, a bullet ain't got no names because, you know, Crazy K, a.k.a. Jip Rome, is hard as shit. And um, then he he's in a room full of everybody he's murdered. And it seems like he's about to have a breakthrough. Also, it seemed like I was about to have a seizure because for some fucking reason, they decided to make this whole scene with strobe lights behind it. Yes. And yes. so if you have photosensitivity issues, do not watch this goddamn movie. Do not watch this movie because we're talking about it. Stay away from this movie. They didn't warn anybody. They didn't advise. They didn't. Well, they didn't even have warnings for that shit back then. They could have been the first, but nope. <laughs> Instead, strobe lights. Um, so you feel like he's about to have a breakthrough because he's stuttering as he's talking about how bullets ain't got no names and blah, blah, blah. And then Dr. Cushing comes back and says, Jerome, I can give you a better life. And um, Jerome is like, nah, I don't give a fuck. Uh, and he says it over and over again. It, it's best described from the beginning, the first song on It's Dark and Hell is Hot, uh, the chorus of Where My Dog's At. <laughs> um, you won't get another chance. Where my dog's at, Jerome. Um, matter of fact, fuck it. Um, I, I, I just like that part and it, it fucking does fit. So here we go. while she's saying Jerome and him saying I don't give a fuck like six or eight times in a row is enough for her to realize he'll never be rehabilitated and so she sends him back to where he was when he was lying on the ground about to get murdered by the police which 
are about to get murdered by the three niggas. But this time, while he's saying, I don't give a fuck, they're like, well, we don't give a fuck either. And they fill him full of lead and he's dead. Which leads <laughs> me to wonder, did she send the cops? Because the next time that she the next time that she sends him back and they murder him, the cops aren't there to save him. And if she sent the cops, did she already know what was going to happen? Like, shouldn't they have died in the cops' hands again the second time? Because what actually happened was the three niggas who were in the funeral home turned around and pulled a gun on Mr. Sims, and they're like, you know who killed this nigga. And he's like, eh. And they're like, take us to where the shit is. And he's like, the shit's in these coffins back here. So these (laughs) dumb fuckers walk to the room in the furthest back of the fucking funeral home where the lights magically turn on and there's three coffins. They each go stand next to a coffin while they're celebrating. Yeah, nigga, we about to get that shit, nigga. This, the, uh, the nigga bulldog is like, long enough, nigga. Huh, long enough. We about to yay, yay. Because he reminds me of old dog mixed with Ice Cube mixed with a bunch of dumb niggas. <laughs> um, and so they open up the... Um, the caskets and they're looking at themselves and Mr. Sims tells them, yeah. So after you, uh, shot crazy K, his friends came and murdered you. This makes no sense. Exactly. Unless, uh, unless the, the scene with the cop shooting them was like fake. Exactly. I was so confused when I heard that. I said, what? What happened? And that's what I was saying. Did she send the cops back? Like, how exactly did this happen? Why? They there... boys in the hood. Remember, like, at the end, they go, like, two weeks. What, what was Ice Cube's um, two week, one Next day, he was buried. Uh a week later, Doughboy was murdered. Doughboy was murdered by some of the friends, some people who was on the uh, what's his face side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, I I don't know. I honestly don't know. But this is how the movie plays out. Fuck it. This is what everybody came here for. I know we played it at the beginning, but why not play it again at the end? Yep. You know what? I don't even want to play this version because it's the clean version. Uh, Brandon, uh, I'm going to go find the real version real quick. Talk amongst yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, the this- thing is, well, hmm? the thing with this, that this scene that was so funny to me was when this nigga, when uh, Crazy K was talking to the uh, woman therapist, and he's like, it ain't my fucking fault I'm like this. It's my mama and my daddy and my teachers and the community. It's all that reason why I'm like this. And she's he like, all right. Yeah. Everybody. He really did. <laughs> and she's like, what you going to do about it? And he's like, nothing. Because I don't give a fuck about nobody. I don't care what you try to make me be. I'm me and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gangster. And then he fucking, he, she's like, I'm, let me go. And she's like, you can leave anytime you want. This, instead of this nigga leaving, he gets up and grabs the nurse. I'll snap this bitch neck. I'm like, Why? all right, is this a scene about mental health? Is this what you're trying to tell me? Because it's just like this dude is not right. 
this ain't about the gang. It's this supposed it's supposed to be about the gangs, but this ain't about the gangs at this point. He she's trying to get you out the gangs. She's trying to get, get you back gangs. on the street and just back to life. And nope. I'ma blame everybody else because cause that's what Nino Brown did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, this movie takes from every other movie. Nino Brown said, we ain't flying no planes. We ain't doing none of this. Um, so he did it too. And then she sends him back to real life for whatever reason. And then they... Uh, it was just such a horrible scene that that whole part like not just it wasn't just the the um the risk of you getting ep an epileptic seizure from the strobe lights it wasn't just the horrible acting it, it wasn't just it was all of it like that whole like they wanted to tell a message so badly that there was literally no way to do this right. And to quote that one nigga- Mine started blast. That shit was wrong, man. We ain't even the ones that kept your homie. That shit was really wrong, G. Man, fuck you, nigga. It was your set to give all me little joke. Y'all motherfuckers gonna try to kill me if y'all had the chance. Man, fuck you, nigga. I didn't do anything. I was playing in my room, and the bullet from your gun came through the wall. Uh, uh, a bullet ain't got no name on it. You, you, you was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Why should they, Jerome? Are they saying something you don't want to hear? So you gonna blame all this shit on me? Huh? You trying to make me crave this stuff, motherfuckers? Huh? I don't hold no responsibilities for these motherfuckers. But you are responsible for the lives you've taken, for the dreams you've turned into nightmares. Nightmare? Motherfucker, what about my nightmare? What about the nightmare I lived in? Who's responsible for that? I don't know, Jerome. You tell me. Who is responsible? Your mother? Your father? Your teachers? The world? Who? Yeah, your crazy ass granny? Oh, they created me. So now I'm the motherfucking nightmare. The nightmare ends when you say it does, Jerome. Jerome. You've got to take responsibility to wake up. You've got to take responsibility to break this chain. One motherfucking responsibility in this world. That's me, and that's it, motherfucker. So anybody and everything that ain't me ain't shit. Do you understand that? That's a question best posed to yourself. I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you a shot at redemption. Do you understand that? I don't give a fuck about none of you stupid motherfuckers. <laughs> what you do is stop fucking with my mind, man, 
and let me about this motherfucker! There's nothing to stop you, Jerome. So, again, the nigga dies. And so, these niggas are like, yo, we recognize that this nigga, we the ones who murdered him. You know it. Show us where the shit is. We ain't going to kill you. We just going to point guns at you till we get the shit, and then we going to shoot you. And he says one of the best lines earlier on in the movie, oh, the shit. The doo-doo. <laughs> Clarence Williams had a ball with this movie. He oh, had so much fun. Here we go. No, I don't want to go here, no motherfucker. Holy shit! What the fuck is this, man? Horrible, horrible, horrible. Horrible. Models, statues, mannequins. Bulldogs Excellent. look like he got mumps. <laughs> Fantasticness. Blast him. He says blast him. The devil makes the gun hot. After you killed Crazy K, a few of his boys killed you. I guess you didn't make it. No, no, I earned it. No. What the fuck you trying to say? Damn, motherfucker! Very! Motherfucker bullshit! If we did, then what the fuck we doing in a funeral home with your crazy ass up? Yes! <laughs> ain't no funeral home! It ain't the Teradome! Teradome! Neither! Welcome to hell! So then his sweaty ass turns into the devil. <laughs> no, before that, they have a snake tongue come out of his, in between his gap and his teeth. That's that's a cartoon snake tongue. A cartoon snake tongue. And uh, then they show him transform into the devil, a big ass devil who's sitting on a ledge with little spindly ass legs. All he does is, uh, all he does, he, he skips leg day. Let's put it like that. Um... They show uh, him sitting on a ledge watching them do the Millie Rock and the Harlem Shake in the Lake of Fire. Question. Does the devil set up every newcomer that comes to hell like that? <laughs> That's like a lot of work and time. But I guess you ain't there for eternity, so you ain't got shit but time. Like, does he have cameras set up so everybody else can see it while they're working? Like, they get to see videos of the newcomers? Like, is there a line to get in because it takes so long to set for him to set up the funeral home and all that shit? Who pays for the mannequins? That's an excellent question. That's such an a, excellent question. Such a bad movie. And how With do you messages. get air conditioned in hell? They that because they was cool as shit in that funeral home until he so said he got a the funeral and started sweating. Then all of a sudden they were sweating. He had a, he got a hookup. <laughs> Jesus ain't shit to do down here. 
give me a camera and I'll set this bitch off. Watch what I do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I'm going to say this ain't no funeral home. <laughs> write this down. Write this down, dude. Stop. Stop making me laugh. This ain't no funeral home. He said it so thoroughly that his bottom lip is split. I just want to know where Terror Dome came from. This ain't the Terror Dome neither. I don't know. So does that mean that um, this is in the universe of uh, Fear of a Black Planet? Like, does does that mean that <laughs> does that mean that Public Enemy is in this universe? Like, how does that work? Is Spice One a part of this? Um, but welcome to hell, motherfuckers. <laughs> He turned into like, imagine. You know what the graphics looks like for people listening? Is imagine if they had a devil, a man turn into the devil in the never-ending story. That's what it looked like. That's a good one. That's exactly what it looked like. So, usually we'd ask who's the MVP of this movie. I'm not even gonna let anybody else say. Clarence Williams did every part of this movie justice. And maybe Corbin Burnson with his racist ass. But really, it's Clarence Williams, MVP. Um, I don't want to know who would do this movie better because honestly, there's sequels and sequels on top of sequels coming out literally every two years. It feels like Tales from the Hood Part 2 just came out. So, I mean, while we're talking shit about this movie, and I am, niggas like it enough for there to be a part three. I didn't know there was a part two. It, it just it came bad? out. It came out like maybe two years ago. I don't know. I don't know if it's bad or not, honestly. Um, but it's there. <laughs> it's definitely there. Um, but yeah, no, I can't. This is. The only thing that I can say about this movie, like for any of the things we were usually do, like what aged well, what didn't age well, we already said what aged well was police brutality. What All of it aged age well, well. Police brutality aged well. Racism aged well. White supremacists running for office aged well. <laughs> Domestic violence aged well. Yeah. Not that don't mean it's good. It just means that it's still happening. Just yep. like just like in there. Um, what didn't age well? Them fucking special effects. Those special effects weren't good for 1995. I mean, if we being honest, they weren't good for 1995. Star Wars had better special effects than that in 1979 or 70, uh, whatever it was, 78 or 9. So I don't like, I don't know what that was. (laughs) It was, it was ridiculous. Uh, there were some people who did some good acting, but overall, the acting was bad. Yeah, it was bad. There were some people who stood out, who did a good job, who actually cared about the role. But by the way, David Allen Greer, he must have been starving for some roles to take that role. <laughs> like, I don't know. Did he think he was, you know, this is my role that I'm gonna, I'm going to transition into being a serious actor? Like, did he think that? There's know. no way he thought that. I would have no thought would have murdered his that. career. Yes, there's no possible way he thought that in this he, film. He's lucky no white people saw this movie. Also, this is the best. This is one of the best and worst soundtracks I've ever heard, because the songs for the time are songs that people would want to hear. It's a decent soundtrack, mm-hmm. but none of the songs are played 
it well the score is horrible. None of the songs are played at the right time. They don't no. match the scene. Like the whoever did the score, they were just playing shit. They were like, we got these dope songs. I think I'm gonna play this here. Face mobs in the house. Like I'm surprised like when uh when David Allen Greer was beating up people, they didn't play NWA and bitches a bitch. <laughs> they probably couldn't get licensing. <laughs> like they just playing anything, any old thing. They don't care if it if it sends the wrong message. Like the song you play sends the complete opposite message that Spike Lee's trying to send. Exactly. We gonna glorify this shit while saying <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> like and this this that song that this this CD was on repeat in my in in my uh CD player. I'm not gonna front. I was 15. But I think I was a target audience who was supposed to be seeing that the gangster lifestyle isn't good. <laughs> and yet I was caught up by how sick the Spice One song was. <laughs> well, there's something else that does the ages. Back in the 90s, every every black movie we see takes place in South Central LA or New York. Everyone sprinkle in Chicago here and there. It's as if black people live nowhere else in the country back in the 90s. But apparently this is also Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. At the same time. I have no fucking clue where they were. Like, lost as shit. But the accents were South Central LA for the uh, the three dudes. For the three dudes, right. Yeah. But for everybody that was, for for them it was South Central LA. For um, Walter, it looked like, and I'm just guessing, why the fuck not? They did it. It looked like anywhere. Chicago. Yeah, it looked like Chicago. And then for Duke, it was fucking Mississippi. Because, look, I don't care what part of L.A. you're in. An old nigga with a straw hat and overalls and a long sleeve shirt talking about niggas getting roots put on them is not going to happen. That silence means I'm right, people. You're right. I'm ready for next week. What's I'm ready for next week? Next week is... Yes! Tell them! (sighs) Next week, we're going to be watching Vampire in Brooklyn. That's right. I don't know why. Apparently, this is my fault. Um, for, you know, saying that we need to do a horror movie month for for October. Excellent film. My man Jeff from the Jeff vs. the World podcast is going to be on with us. He, I sent him, so Rashani is such a great, like, podcaster. And he made a whole list of, like, movies for, like, two, two and a half years worth of podcasts. For this show, yeah, sends me the list. I send this list to my uh, to my man Jeff because Jeff uh, Jeff does a podcast. Uh, one of the shows on his podcast is called Hood Classics, which is similar to this but a little bit different. They don't go back as far, but they review some like older movies from time to time. So I send my man Jeff this because I know he'd definitely be interested in coming on. 
I said, Jeff, tell me uh, which movie you want to do. Immediately. Oh, you doing Vampire in Brooklyn? Sign me up. Oh, because everybody knows that Vampire in Brooklyn is the shit except Rashawn. You know, yeah, and my wife. Both of us are about to sit down and watch this side by side. And, and, and oh, my God. Let's go. This is. Peak Eddie Murphy. It. We get a bonus Eddie. Y'all listen to Eddie Murphy, Mike. Y'all get a bonus Eddie Murphy. This is, this is not, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no horrible movies featuring Eddie Murphy and that nigga Dwayne Wayne. <laughs> we got Eddie Murphy. We got Angela Bassett. We got Alan Payne. We got Kadeem Harrison. We got John Witherspoon. Look at the star power. And it was all wasted. Look at the star power in this film. Wasted. <laughs> wasted, niggas. Like, it's, I'm not even, oh, my God. Look, we'll be back next week with Vampire in Brooklyn. I'm going to be a whiny-ass motherfucker. I can tell you right now, I am not looking forward to this shit at all. I already know. I already know. I already know. Um, for Brandon and myself, uh, thank you so much for checking us out. You can go on Facebook and check us out at Hindsight Movie Reviews. Uh, on Twitter, you can check us out at Hindsight Reviews, R-E-V-U-E-S. Uh, you can email us at hindsightmoviereviews uh, at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think. I think that's a... Nope, that's not it. I, I almost said I think that's about it. Um, I know that, they, that I said that there's literally no way that this sack of shit should be replicated and there's nobody who could do lines or roles or whatever better either in the past or now. I know I said that, but there is one that nigga who played the ad campaign manager. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drake he should have been Christopher Williams. Oh my God. Drake can play that say, nigga. I was going to say Christopher Williams. Nope. Just Drake. Drake can do that shit. Yeah, you just always want to shit on Drake. Definitely, Drake could do that. The only spooks I see, the only spooks I'm scared of, is the ones with guns. Like you can see at, Drake doing that shit. I just looked at the cast for Tales of the Hood Three. Is is Drake in it? No. Oh. As William. Okay, we'll do this before we get out. This is the summary of a Rashani. As William, a lumbering man in his fifties. In Brooklyn, a six-year-old child tried to outrun an unseen evil. Brooklyn decides to tell William four moralistic but deeply horrific stories to distract herself from the impending danger. The first story deals with a greedy real estate agent, David, who burns down an apartment to drive his last remaining tenants, drive out his last remaining tenants, the Bradford family out of their home. The second story concerns some frat boys who throw a white supremacist party and the American terrorist, Psycho Johnny, who puts a violent end to the party. The third story revolves around the struggling singer Shayla and her rich employer, Miss Marie Bastille, who Shayla wants to kill her and use her money to further push her career. And the fourth story is about a petty thief 
who ends up killing one of his victims and becomes cursed in the aftermath of his sin. This all sounds like a whole lot of nothing. That's <laughs> so overthinking it. Right. Ew. Mm-mm. What is this coming out on? Uh, probably straight to digital. <laughs> this is one of your voodoo movies. Yeah, except I'm not paying for that shit. Um, <laughs> I will give it approximately two years, and it'll be free, and we can put it at the end of the list. Um, <laughs> by the way, if y'all ever want to join us on an episode of Hindsight, um, just let us know. We might have a spot for you. You might not like the movie you're going to have to watch. Uh, you might end up watching <laughs> A Vampire of Brooklyn or some kind of shit like that. But You would love to. Yeah, right. So, again, uh, for... Brandon, myself, and Drake. Uh, We'll holler at y'all later. Y'all be good. Peace. Peace. The music for hindsight is Coffee by Cambo Smith, and it's from the Free Music Archive. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you're